This is the Scrum Dynamics Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Scrum Dynamics. The purpose of this show is to help everyone use the Scrum Agile Software Development Framework to successfully implement Microsoft business applications. Whether you're implementing Dynamics 365, Power Apps, Power BI, or Flow, I think you deserve a perfect Microsoft Business Applications project. Using the Scrum framework, I reckon you can slash your project budgets, shrink your delivery timelines, mitigate technical risks, and have lots more fun delivering business application software that everyone will love. I've been implementing Microsoft CRM, Dynamics CRM, and now Dynamics 365 customer engagement for nearly 15 years. Recently, the platform has exploded with new capabilities and applications and our ecosystem has expanded with new tools and partner apps as well. You can download a cool periodic table of the elements for Dynamics 365 customer engagement, which is 118 of my favorite apps and sites organized into color-coded families with clickable links in each element. Visit customary.com elements. That's the word customer with a Y on the end com slash elements. And remember to leave a comment and let me know your favorite element or <gasps> shock horror if I've missed your favorite. Now, let's get on with this week's episode. In Scrum Dynamics 35, I'm joined by fellow MVP, Mohamed Mustafa, the Solutions Director at Tech Labs London. They are best known for their industry solution, iProperty Cloud, a suite of apps for the property industry. Mohammed shares the story of Tech Lab's successful implementation of iProperty Cloud for Eagle Housing in just eight weeks. It's a remarkable story, not just because of the speed of that initial release, but Eagle Housing was failing in their first attempt to implement Dynamics 365, and the board of directors was split in their support. So listen in as Mohammed tells us how his team managed to turn around this situation into another successful Dynamics 365 project. You'll find show notes and links to this episode at customary.com slash 35. Let's go, Mohammed. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome onto the Scrum Dynamics show. It's Mohammed Mustafa. Mohammed, welcome to Scrum Dynamics. It's great to have you on. Hi, Neil. Thanks very much for having me. Um, it's lovely to talk to you and um, to your kind of um, wonderful audience. Thanks very much for coming on. Now, do you want to uh, just introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started with Microsoft Business Applications in the first place? Absolutely. So, Mohamed um, Mustafa, I'm a Microsoft MVP. I've been doing Microsoft Dynamics since version 1.2. Started back in 2006, so maybe not as um, long as you, Neil. I know you did uh, probably a lot longer than that. But No, I was about the same time. Oh, is yeah. it? Okay, brilliant. Um, so, about 13 years, worked with version 1.2, but didn't really do any uh, real projects with it because uh, CRM3 came out soon after. Worked with CRM3 and, and obviously all the versions since then. I've worked in loads of Microsoft Dynamics partners here in the UK uh, throughout the you know throughout the past uh, 13 years. Um, but love Dynamics, Microsoft Dynamics 365, CRM customer engagement. This is uh, my bread and butter. Everything around it as well. Integrations, you know your typical programs where you do data migrations and integrations with third parties and legacy. And then obviously I'm enjoying the move and the big changes around the power platform and expanding our platform way beyond just dynamic. Great. And and today you're running your own business, Mohammed, is that right? 
Yes, it is. So um, I had the fortunate kind of circumstances to actually lead up a practice for one of the big four consultancies in the UK, started the practice for them, and, and we grew it into a fairly large uh, Microsoft Dynamics CRM practice. And uh, after a few years, I decided to set up uh, Tech Labs London, which is also a Dynamics 365 uh, practice. We're about 22 people now in two different continents, which is you know, great uh, uh, a feeling to have. And we're hopefully looking to open up a third office in a third continent. So we're growing very fast, still a small um, kind of startup, but um, hopefully you will hear more about uh, Tech Labs London uh, in the coming months and years. Oh, fantastic. Well, um Congratulations on your growth. I know since we both worked for the same organization a little while ago, it's been fascinating watching your your success. Um, tell me a little bit about the industries that you focus on. Do you do you focus on particular vertical markets? Is that where you're having your success, or do you do you play horizontally across clients right across the UK? Great question. When when I was setting up um, Tech Labs London, the, the first question that came to mind, and I'm sure many of your audience would have thought about this, and I know you have, is that how do we differentiate ourselves as a dynamics practice amongst all the other ones? And just having a dynamics practice that can do anything with anyone at any in any industry, it's not really, it doesn't really cut it. It doesn't really provide that unique selling point for your organization or your practice. But what we decided to do from day one is to focus on specific industries. Now, we're not going to go and say no to every single opportunity that comes from other industries, but we want to focus on these interest in, in this industry or these industries that we're focusing on. So at the moment, our biggest focus is going to be housing and property markets, and that includes real estate, state agents, um, housing associations in the UK, property groups across the wider Western Europe, um, as well as uh, property developers and uh, property maintenance organizations. So pretty much everything property and housing is part of our focus. And for that, we built solutions. Um, we have a family or a product family called iProperty Cloud, um, which is a number of solutions targeting various various components or, if you like, various parts or sectors within the industry of property and housing. Okay. And how much of your business is like an independent software vendor where you're selling a solution with no services attached? And how much of it is a consulting business based around the solutions that you implement? So our... I would probably call it slightly unique model is that we are the SI of our own ISV solution. So right. we, well, we're happy to work with partners. And um, what we do is we sell our solution, our ISV solution, and make sure that we implement it because we know what the best practices are. We know what to you know, how to build it in the best uh, possible way. We can integrate it. We've got all the experience and the skills within the team to do all of this. So we are the SI of our own ISV, which is, you know, our unique way of doing it. Fantastic. Yeah, that, I think that, especially when you're getting started, that's a great model because you need to have that close customer relationship, get the feedback and, and put exactly. that feedback straight back into your product as well. Exactly. So a great model for getting started. Yeah. Um, maybe when you're a thousand people, then you can train other partners how to implement your solution. Yeah, hopefully one day. Um, and I mean, we're, we're we're still open to work with partners. There's nothing to stop us. But when we thought about it, as you said, is especially at the beginning, the best way to present our solution is us. The best way to make sure it's a success from day one is us. We can still work with partners who have their own um, kind of um, SI consultancy services with the same organization. But when it comes to implementing our part of our solution, we, we we're keen to make sure that we ensure that success ourselves. 
I invited you onto the show to talk specifically about a successful recent project that you've delivered to find out really what made it so successful. What are the critical success factors for great projects? And maybe what's, what are some of the challenges that you faced? So do you want to tell me about one of your recent projects, Mohammed? Yeah, sure. So um, I would like to talk about a project we are delivering and we delivered and we continuously deliver and enhance to, which is an organization, a housing association that is called Eagle Housing. And Eagle Housing basically is a, an organization with about 11,000 properties across the UK. Uh, properties in this case could be flats and blocks or could be houses. Um, and it's all within the social housing side of things. Okay. Fairly large organization in terms of the um, number of properties, but it's not the biggest. There are much bigger housing associations in the UK. All right. Just interested to know how you got to work with them. Were you approaching them, marketing your solutions, or did they come knocking on your door? It was an interesting um, situation where we were actually referred to them by another customer. So um, one of our customers who were happy with what we were doing, our work and our um, kind of commitment and, and the outcome of our project, they recommended us to them, which is a slightly bigger organization for them. So it's always good to be coming as a referral and as a recommendation from colleagues and other customers. And um, so that's how we came to um, to work with them. Is the social housing market pretty collaborative that way, that they, they share stories and, and they swap ideas rather than competing ruthlessly against each other? They are. You're absolutely right. They are very um, collaborative. They don't see each other as competitors in any way because it's all about social housing at the end. It's all about providing affordable homes to the UK public. So they actually work, the majority, if not all of them, and obviously it's always difficult to generalize, but every, pretty much every housing association we worked with um, have been very collaborative, very open to show what they're doing to other housing associations, very open to share lessons learned and knowledge with other housing associations. So yeah, it is a very interesting market. At the end of the day, it's a non-for-profit uh, with a very good social element to it, which you know it's dear to our hearts as well because we enjoy building solutions that help people get on the um, you know the, the social housing uh, side of things. So tell me a little bit about how it got started. So unfortunately, in this case, the, the, the customer was working for um, a period of time with a um, different Microsoft Dynamics partner. It was the typical waterfall approach. So, you know, with waterfall, they had a very well-defined analysis um, and a very well-defined design, which had to be signed off. And many people had to sign off with their blood that this is the final design. <laughs> and with the expectation that in a year and a half time, you will have the project up and ready. So leave us for a year and a half and we'll talk to you again in a year and a half time. As you know, this really doesn't work with a front office application like Microsoft Dynamics or like CRM in general. You know, you, maybe you can do this with a finance system. I would argue even not with finance systems, but not with a front office customer relationship management where it needs to be interactive. You need to have your user's input, super user's input. You have to constant enhancement and constant improvement. So what happened in that case is the partner you know, not fully disappeared, but they disappeared for a period of time. And every time they do the show and tell, the outcome wasn't as expected. So they got to the point where they were thinking of ditching Microsoft Dynamics CRM, you know, almost blaming the technology platform for the you know, the lack of progress they were having um, as a project. So we came in, we have our unique way of working. With, and we try to come in and try to, to save that and, and convince them that it is not really about the product or the platform. It's about the delivery and it's about making sure that we're bringing the benefits to the business. 
And, and so Eagle Housing, why had they kicked off a CRM project in the first place? What were the challenges their business was facing that they thought Dynamics 365 could solve? I think customer service is at the heart of every housing association in the UK. I haven't met a housing association who were saying, we don't care about our customers or, you know, we care about sales because they are very, they're not sales driven organizations. They, their customers are there waiting for them to make the houses available. Um, social housing is in high demand and, you know, it's not difficult to find social tenants. The difficulty is always about providing the best customer service. And to do this, it's not just technology, of course, but you need technology to enable that success. So they went out looking for a technology-enabled business solution. They want to change the ways of working internally. They want to change the business processes. They want to from their current as-is, which is slightly backwards, slightly not efficient, to the new innovative to-be processes. And then use a technology that actually delivers these kind of benefits and enable these kind of new ways of working for them. So they went out, they looked at different options. Microsoft Dynamics CRM came at the top of their kind of technology platforms. Also, there are many good successful stories of Dynamics 365 CRM customer engagement being implemented in other housing associations very successfully indeed. So they were thinking about all of this. They did a lot of, obviously, um, procurement process with a lot of diagnosis and, and checks and analysis and making sure they're making the right decision. And then they decided to go for Dynamics CRM. And were they using an existing system before Dynamics or was it pen and paper and spreadsheets? It was a mixture of spreadsheets. Thankfully, there weren't that many pen and paper, but there was a mixture of spreadsheets, a backend um, kind of ERP housing specific application. The majority of housing associations use some of the famous kind of backend um, housing systems, which are different vendors to Microsoft, obviously, but they've been there for 20, 25 years in some instances. And they are, you know, the old on-premise applications where every time you want to change, you have to go through a process that might literally take you three months to have a few more fields added to your application. So it's, you know, it's a very kind of old-fashioned back-end system that well, it was it's almost twisting its arm to get it to work as a front office CRM system. So obviously it wasn't really functioning. People ended up writing on a piece of paper and then filling in spreadsheets and then putting spreadsheets and share drives. And it's just, it wasn't really a good way of customer service. And, and customers obviously were feeling the pain uh, of uh, customers of Eagle Housing. We're feeling the pain of having to sometimes even explaining the same problem multiple times um, to multiple people just because there isn't really the, the system and the technology and the platform behind it that keeps it all together. So hence, they, they were rightly looking out for a technology that can enable this kind of digital transformation that they were looking for. So you, you give me a teaser about the type of approach that Tech Lab London takes with its projects. Um, I presume it's not a sure step based approach. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about it? <laughs> it is not, unfortunately. Um, so um, we at Tech Labs London, um, the way we we wanted to be unique, not just about um, having our solution, our property cloud, which focuses on housing and pro property and housing and, and target these kind of organizations with their almost a ready-made solution. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to be um, to help our customers realize the benefit of their platform as quickly as possible. So if you think again about the example where you have to wait for a year and a half, two years to actually start using the CRM system that you've been spending two years to build, you know, you're not realizing the benefit as a business. Um, you're not realizing the benefit as a user or as a super user. You want to see these benefits as early as possible. So our approach is we always, always 
ask our customers to go live and prepare to go live within weeks, even if it's 30% of what they want, even if it's 50%, wow. we tell them and we work with them to make sure that we have the minimum viable product ready to go live within weeks. And once it's ready to go live in, in, in weeks, we go live. We know it's not complete. We know we need to do a lot more. But then as soon as it goes live, we start our iterative continuous enhancement and continuous improvement methodology, which is pretty much what Agile Scrum is about. Or, you know, I'm sure different people doing Agile Scrum in different ways. And you're the expert here, Neil, on Agile Scrum. But we try to be as um, agile as possible. And what we tend to do is we try to um, go live, start to use our users and our super users and the actual users of the system as our driver to enhancements and changes. Some of the requirements our users always have before we go live, they think this is must have. We can't go live without doing X. But then when we push back and say access to custody, we really we can't really provide the ROI or the benefit for this X requirement. Let's go live and then see if you still want X and then we'll do it after go live. So let's not delay go live. We go live in 12 weeks in some instances. Some instances we went live within six weeks with some of our customers. We go live and then they start using the system. And as they use it, they start to think, you know what? Well, I thought X as being a must-have. I don't even need it because now that I'm doing this this way, I don't want to do it. Now, I definitely want Y. And it makes a lot of sense. And they can prove that Y is essential. Why? Because it's going to bring those ROIs. So then we have to drive our enhancements and continuous improvement. So I'm fascinated by by this ability to go live so quickly, I'm in a project at the moment, we're using Scrum, but we are almost 12 months into the project and we're just about to go live for the first time in two weeks. We're replacing a couple of legacy systems that have got hundreds of features and we've had to yeah. rebuild most of those features to come up to speed, to come up to parity with those before we can consider going live because those features are essential to drive the business. I guess you're bringing iProperty Cloud, which is delivering a lot of that core functionality and then customizing on top of that for a specific client. So maybe you're in a special situation because you've done a lot of the development, you've invested in all those features before you've even met your customer. That's absolutely right. I mean, we've spent good part of two years building our property cloud. So we don't just come in with a blank piece of paper and say, what would you like to have? We come in with a solution that we believe does 80, 90% at least of the core requirements. So we still need to do the 10, 20% to get us to the minimum viable product, but we don't come in with a blank piece of paper. So you're absolutely right on this remark. In addition to this as well, what we tend to do is we tend not to replace big functioning systems in the first six weeks or 12 weeks uh, go along. What we tend to do is we complement those systems with Dynamics 3650. Typically, they wouldn't have Microsoft Dynamics to start with. So what we do, they have a back-end housing management system, for example. We build a front office Dynamics CRM solution that only does two or three of their core processes, maybe complaints management, basic customer service inquiries, and maybe some general inquiries and processes like this. Once we go live with those two or three processes within 12 weeks, six weeks, or whatever the, the amount of time is, with obviously the added advantage of already having a lot of these features already built in our solution, we then start to bit by bit take over from the backend housing management system, bring all the front office processes from this backend system to the front office to our CRM system. And as we do this in, a, in an agile, uh, iterative way, bit by bit, the, the reliance on the backend housing management system becomes less and less as we go through it. But we never replace it in six weeks or 12 weeks. So you're absolutely right. But we always try to 
to say, you know, your backend system is for your kind of maybe some finance backend invoicing or, or rent settings or any kind of these kind of pros in the backend, but your front office system, this is about your customer service. This needs to be light. This needs to be interactive system. This needs to be in the cloud, for example. And then we obviously do light touch integration as much as possible to start with. But as we go through our continuous improvements and continuous enhancements, we start to build more and more integrations with the backend system. What we don't typically do is replace the backend system, obviously, with a dynamic CRM. We just build in front of this backend system a lot of nice, easy to use, well-structured, fully guided business process flows, for example, in dynamic CRM. Fantastic. Do you want to tell me about a, a typical uh, iteration in that project? How long did it last? What was the, the process for capturing the requirements and then delivering that into production? So our approach with this customer specifically is that we aim to have a Gola, uh, sorry, a deployment to live once every month. So every month, every four weeks, we have a deployment to live. Now, within that, we could have a lot of features. We could have some few epics. Um, but we always try to make sure that there is there are new features, there are new benefits every month. And obviously, we always look at what's the benefits, what's the return of investment on, on implementing those new features way ahead before of even starting this uh, sprint. Now, the typical sprint in our cases is, is this four weeks, but sometimes for some different reasons, we might want to have, we, we need to be flexible. We need to be agile as, as the project delivery calls it. So we, we need sometimes to go to push to deploy, deployment to live within even two weeks. Um, sometimes there is a new feature that is required urgently, is going to solve a critical business problem. Uh, a system that has failed needs to be replaced with a, new, with a feature or a system that is about to go out of support and we need to push it quickly. So we always allow for exceptions, but typically it's a four-week sprint. And in, that, in there, we have a number of inputs or features. So we can have new features and new enhancements for existing processes, so process such as say general inquiry this has already gone live and it's already being used in the system we then have iterative enhancements this goes in as one stream within what we call our train of delivery so our train of delivery going back to the um, swiss train uh, terminology <laughs> our our train of delivery has got multiple carriages one carriage of them is the um, delivery of enhancements and improvements to an existing process that is live and being used but additional enhancements and additional improvements. Another carriage is a pro that is being rolled out. So we aim to go live with a new process once every six to eight weeks. So what happens in that case is we could have a six-week build of the process as part of two one and a half sprints, but then two weeks of test and, and UAT and making sure everything is, is, is fine and then we go live. But we can have two, sometimes even three processes going live at the same time or, we're, or being built, sorry, at the same time. So that we're always having at least one new process as part of our go live, uh, sorry, a, a deployment to live. I have a go live in two days, you see, and that's why I keep on saying go live. Um, so every four weeks, we have a, a carriage for our enhancements for existing process, at least one brand new process. And then number three, what we also have is some of what we call business as usual. Sometimes something that has been built, but just needs a little bit of tweaks. That represents five to 10% of our um, sprint, but it's still valuable and important kind of activity that goes into the third carriage of our train, which we hopefully you know, reach a station every, um, every month. Good. Tell me a little bit about the team that delivered this project. Was it a big team on your part and was it also a big team on the client side as well? 
Absolutely. We always say that to our customers that it's not just about the delivery team. It's always going to be about the client, about the customer team, about the wider business. So we need, you know, we need every business stakeholder and every business user to be positively contributing into our delivery in loads of different ways. Even if it's just by um, raising awareness about the upcoming process, could be internal training, could be business readiness activities. There are loads of different activities and, and support functions within the business that I don't think any external partner can replace. And that's really key. And I'm sure you would agree with me, Neil, that m- many projects we've seen in our lives that have failed, not because the technology is not good, not because of the solution hasn't been built well. Sometimes solutions have very little bugs and still it actually fail as a project. And the reason it failed is because on the client side, there weren't enough resources allocated to the project not enough skills and and kind of wider audience of of business stakeholders who can positively contribute to the success of the project. So talking about our customer here, what we have, we have a a number of business analysts with on the customer side who understand their business, understand their processes. They don't particularly know, know much about Microsoft Dynamics and it's not particularly a massive issue. Obviously, if they do have some Dynamics experience, that's great. But if they don't, that's our role to support them. So if there is a requirement in the first sprint or the second sprint that is pure custom development that is delivering very little value, what we tend to do is we try to push back our business analysts and our wider business audience to say, What's the actual value? This is going to be a custom development and it might not deliver the value that you're expecting. And we always try to push back. It's always about making sure that we get the best out of our our solution and our time for our customer business. So obviously, we've got a, a number of project managers and we have different project managers part working with different streams or different carriages within our train. And at the same time, we've got a wider business support community. So that includes internal trainers who are regularly building up new training material and new training manuals to roll out to the, every process, run this out or push this out to all the users within that team that are impacted with this change. We have the testing, uh, which is the user's uh, customer side or the user side testing. So we have plans for testing that is, is always part of rolling out any new process or any new enhancement. So there are a number of internal testers. Some, some of these testers are actually users of the system who will be using the system every every day so we we try to put as much as possible um, effort inside into the business readiness work to make sure that this rollout of a new process is as successful as we would like it to be and how many users were involved in the project and how long did it take you from start to finish to deploy for, for that group of users overall you mean across the whole organization yeah for using dynamics 365 yeah, so the whole organization is about 600 users, but not all of them are on Dynamics CRM. And that's that's where you'll find sometimes, you know, the initial maybe 50 users were, were the biggest kind of rollout because there were 50 users maybe working in the call center that they needed to start using um, Dynamics CRM for general inquiries. But as we progress additional processes, for example, um, some processes such as mutual exchange, which is one of the kind of common processes that you hear about in, in housing associations. When we rolled out mutual exchange, the number of users is not actually significant. There's only four or five users that do use or need to touch this business process. So it becomes easier. However, the amount of time that takes those four or five individuals within the business to do mutual exchange in a pen and paper kind of scenario or a spreadsheet scenario is significant. So the solution brings in a lot of benefit. It frees up the time of these four or five 
staff members to actually do a lot more than just mutual exchange to the extent that a couple of them are actually moved into different teams because now we can save that time by rolling out the process. But as we roll out every process, Sometimes we have five, six, ten um, users. Sometimes we have slightly more, 20 or 25. We never really rolled out the 50, 60 number, uh, one process for 50, 60 people, other than the initial kind of go live, which is the kind of the core customer service scenario. Because of that, and because we're doing it in chunks, we're doing it bit by bit, the business is always seeing benefits. Every month, or every two months, the business sees, oh, a new team has just joined Dynamics. You know, a new team is now using Dynamics CRM. So there's always this kind of hype and, and excitation, really, about, you know, when our team is coming up. And, and we, going from at the start, when, you know, it's a lot of our um, key stakeholders were actually starting to be off, you know, not really interested in Dynamics discussions. I don't want my team getting into this. Into now, we're getting um, a number of senior stakeholder saying, oh, why is my team in three or four sprints? Why isn't my team next sprint? You know, we're available. <laughs> so we can do it now. So it's, it really is, ta- is changing dramatically. And obviously, that again, go, that goes back to the everyone on the project, not just our team as Tech Labs London and our solution as iProperty Cloud. There's a lot on the customer side that is being done to help us succeed like this. So it sounds like you had a little bit of resistance from some of the senior managers. What kind of executive sponsorship did you have from the Eagle Housing Board? The board was split. They spent a lot of money initially on the waterfall approach, which we know that didn't deliver the benefits, didn't deliver any benefits really. So the board was almost split between, you know, let's just ditch the whole dynamic, let's just stop the whole project. And the other half was like, you know, let's just give it another chance. Let's give it one more chance and see what we can do. If we're going to risk another 12 weeks of quick deployment, let's just do it. Let's see what's going to happen. You know, this it's a low risk at the end of the day. And that's that's another thing unique about what we try to do, and I'm hoping all Microsoft Dynamics CRM partners can do, is is this kind of unique approach of, you know, we can go live in 12 weeks. It's not going to be 100% everything you would ever want it, definitely not, but you still can go live in 12 weeks. There's nothing that would stop you, unless obviously there's very good reasons, but there's very little that can stop you to go live with a subset of the system in 12 weeks. The advantage then is very low risk, very uh, low cost. And worst case scenario, you're not going to do it. You're not going to carry on. The 12 weeks are lost and that's it. But when you have a year and a half or two years, you know, it's a much higher risk. It's a much higher budget. And it's, it's you know, some people could lose jobs on, on problems like this. Going back to our board friends, they, um, they, had, they were split. Um, we had to put our neck on the line and say, just give us your support. We need you to support us on, over the, the next 12 weeks. And part of your support is if someone comes to us and say, I would like this custom complex requirement and it has to happen in the 12 weeks. We come back to you and say, please not. We know this is going to cause other issues. Let's just go live and leave this to after go live. Support us on it. Take our word for it. It is a low risk for you. You've already spent you know, a good, good part of two years to, to get to where you are now. 12 weeks is not going to be the end for you. Let's, let's do this. Give us your support and we will do our best to make sure that it, it succeeds. It wasn't easy. It's difficult to convince them and it's difficult to achieve it as well because you're not just building a system. You're, you're, you know, you're trying to win the hearts and minds of, of your users, your stakeholders, people who had bad experiences already with the, with the project. So, yeah, it was, it was very interesting and it was hard and um, we're very proud of where we are now. To be honest. Oh, well done. I'm interested in some of the, the tools that you might have used during the course of your project. You know, whether you were using, for example, Azure DevOps or another tool to capture requirements and manage your your designs and your builds along the way? 
So we try to, to be as innovative as possible. What we tend to be using these days, and, and to be honest, throughout this project and other projects, is Trello. We just love Trello. Um, what we do, especially once you go live, every enhancement, every feature is a card on Trello. We can have discussions about it with the customer. A developer can ask the customer or the BA or the business analyst about um, any, any requirements. The business analyst can ask for clarification on certain things. We can move cards around. So we've got lists within Trello to say, you know, this is ready to be uh, worked on. This is being worked on. This is ready for review or some input is required. So we have buckets and we move the cards between buckets. We add screenshots, we add documents to each card. And we use that card almost as a, you know, as a vehicle for everything around this feature. And then the advantages is because we're building on an environment which is accessible by our business analysts from the customer side, they can go and see every single day at any time, at any point of time, what is being built. So we could have built 30% of the feature and we say, can you please have a look at this business process flow and make sure that we got your requirement right around the stages and the steps within the stage. They can look at it and they say, oh, you know what? Can you actually move those stages around? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you add this step? We can do all of this without even meeting the customer, the, the business analysts. We have some of our team is, is near shore in Egypt. And obviously we have our UK consultants. And sometimes we do all of this without even seeing the customer. We can jump on calls. We can do teams. We can do screen sharing. We can just raise comments on, on Trello. But it's not always we have to be sitting together in the same room. We actually, believe it or not, we have customers who we contracted with. They bought iProperty Cloud based on an app source view. They looked at app source. They liked iProperty Cloud. They tested, downloaded it, tested it. They loved it. We did a couple of demos and we actually contracted with them without ever seeing them. We started the project and we went live within, to be very specific, I think it was about 11 weeks. We went live within 11 weeks without ever meeting the customer. I swear that happened. I find that a little hard to believe. Well, not hard to believe, but it's um, yeah. I, it's not often those kind of scenarios are successful. I think in my experience, sitting beside the customer yeah. um, in, a, in a co-located project space has been easier for communication. But if you're able to make that work remotely, then then fantastic. That's that's an awesome achievement. I think it's because, harder. Because um, we, we, we're trying to work with many customers at the same time, Neil, as you know. So we're, and, and again, obviously, if it's a large enterprise customer with, you know, 10,000 users, that's one thing. If it's a, a smaller customer with 100, 150 customers, that's complete, 150 users, that's slightly different. So obviously, you know, I, I take your point that might be large enterprise customers really difficult to do that. But if you think on the medium-sized type of customers, what do you actually need? You need to screen share. You need a daily calls. Um, you can just jump on a call on Microsoft Teams at any point of time. You have your features on, on cards. You make sure that you're seeing what they're seeing. They have access to the same system that you're showing your kind of build artifacts onto. So, you know, it, it, I'm not saying it's the easiest ever in the world, but at the same time, honestly, it works. This customer of ours, we met them two months after go live for the first time ever. We didn't even know how the customer looks like until we went, after we, we went live. So, you know, there, there are... You know, there are good uses of, of Scrum and, and Agile delivery where you can actually be remote and, and continue to work successfully in different um, geographies. Uh, good. Well, the, the last one that I delivered remotely was actually in, in Southern California. And nice. all the all the consultants lived in Southern California. It's just, it's too hard to travel around LA. So yeah. 
we would deliver that remotely. And that was actually in, in the property industry as well, called American Homes for Rent. So another property company. There you go. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just as long as you give them the ability to regularly give you feedback and, and you know, they can jump on a call at any time. They can, you know, you can call you, you can share screens, you can do it. You know, we've got all the tools that we need now. So, you know, with Trello, with Microsoft Teams, um, we use Azure, Azure DevOps, but not for requirements. We use it for pretty much everything else. You know, we, we're looking forward to, to continue to use it as well, but not for things like, um, you know, the, the Trello and Capture requirements. Although, you know, I'm hoping that this is continuously improving also on Azure DevOps, so we could well be using it in the future. Were there any specific challenges that you faced in this project with Eagle Housing that you had to overcome? Yeah. Um, some of the work that we did after maybe two or three um, iterations is the fact that we have to integrate with loads of different um, third parties. So we had to integrate with the kind of a, a slightly old-fashioned housing associate housing um, management system that you know didn't have uh, your kind of advanced APIs that you would like it to be. We had to integrate with some external parties in some instances, and there was there was always going to be challenge when third parties come in, um, as you know, as I'm sure you you know. And the worst part is the blame game. I really try to make my team never blame anyone else for any issues. But it's always, you know, when it, multiple parties trying to integrate or trying to work together, you'll find, you know, one party or the other saying, oh, it's not our fault. You guys go and fix it. It's not our problem. Thanks very much. We've done our bit. And I genuinely, I told my team and we discussed this at length is that, you know, at the end of the day, if it succeeds, it succeeds for all of us. If it if it's not successful, it's not successful for all of us. Laying the blame on us or the third party is not really going to benefit anyone. At the end of the day, it needs to work. It needs to succeed. So believe it or not, one of our third party vendors that we were integrating with, they were using some kind of package to do some of their integrations. And we literally downloaded a trial version of their package, connected their package to our solution in Dynamics, and we tested it for them. And then we copied that file and sent it to them. And we said, here we go. We've connected your package for you because we want it to succeed. You know, Even if we're doing their work in this instance, we're happy to do it. It means we succeed. The customer valued this. The relationship improved a lot from between us and the third party. And you know, we successfully managed to to connect the two. So obviously that wasn't from day one. It took us two, three weeks of finger pointing of, you know, I'm doing everything my end. I still can't connect to your end. You need to do something your end. And we're saying, well, there's nothing we can do on our end. It's your package. And, and it's just, you know, backward and forward, really useless. No one is benefiting. We're coming to the end of the, you know, the sprint and we're not delivering the benefits that we promised we deliver. Um, so we literally downloaded a trial version and we did it. And, and we did, you know, the initial bit. They still had to do their, the rest of the work, but we did the initial bit, got the two tools connected, and off we go. So, you know, sometimes you have to be flexible again and have to think about it's a, it's a teamwork. And the team here is not just Tech Labs London or not just our Dynamics delivery team. The team here is everyone involved. Third parties, you know, internal within the customer, our team, everyone else we have to work together we're all pushing the same direction if it succeeds it all of us are successful not just one part of us well that, that's a great way to approach it and, and far too often these things can turn into a finger pointing exercise so yeah. it's tremendous you managed to avoid that well done thank you so Mohammed, you mentioned some of the, the critical success factors there about going live quickly within a matter of weeks to try and realize the benefits quickly and that's also a low risk approach you were working in four week sprints you had a really solid client team to work with, with uh, business analysts, project managers, and the business support team. 
executive sponsorship, it sounds like you got there in the end, but it wasn't uh, always unanimous. And you've enjoyed successful use of tools like Trello to keep everybody on the same page with the requirements and with your progress. Was there anything else that you think was a contributing factor to this project? So one thing we, we try to do, and maybe uh, you know, maybe many organizations do this, I haven't personally seen it in many Microsoft partners doing, which is trying to involve Microsoft. Now, I know that Microsoft only gets interested or you know, the, the perception is Microsoft usually only gets interested when it's a large enterprise program with you know, 10,000 plus users or maybe you know, 2,000 plus users, you might not get the attention. But you will be surprised that one of the things, some of the Microsoft sellers, the, you know, the salespeople in Microsoft, not let alone the, the partner success kind of managers or the partner, partner architects that we call them a PTS, they, they want to see projects like this. They want to get involved in projects like this, not by delivering it or not by, you know, having a, a, any kind of responsibility, but they want to facilitate it and help it and help succeed, these projects to succeed. Even if it's the a project that this salesperson is never going to get any benefits out of it directly because they're not selling the licenses. Or, But at the end of the day, a successful project is a good case study is a good reference for Microsoft, for every partner. You know, every partner who successfully delivers a, delivers a project, that's a good reference for our market, for our industry. So I'm, I feel very happy when I hear about any of our kind of uh, um, larger competitors, if you like, that they've gone live with a successful implementation of Dynamics in Housing Association. It's great news. I can go to my next prospect and say, yeah, there are many good stories. Even if it's not with us, this specific story, it is a very good story to show that the platform works you know, good delivery works and you can be another successful project. You can still choose whichever Microsoft partner you want to work with. We feel that we're better suited. So what we did with our Eagle um, housing customer is that we actually brought in Microsoft on some occasions just to give them that kind of assurance that number one, it's the right platform. You're not, you know, you're not wasting your time. And honestly, you know, the salespeople we brought in had no benefits, direct benefits whatsoever in doing this. They were doing it because they wanted to see that project seed. We then wanted them to show the, the art of the possible, the future, the innovation that's coming. Obviously, we talk about this to our customer all the time, but again, coming from the vendor is always different. They wanted to understand a bit more around the GDPR time and the data privacy kind of uh, panic that was happening uh, mid last year. They wanted to see Microsoft coming in, giving them these assurances. Maybe two or three occasions over a period of 18 months, we had Microsoft coming in to talk to the customer, give them that confidence with no real direct benefit to them. But it really paid out at the end. At the end, this customer is a reference for, for these kind of Microsoft colleagues. At any point, they can ring up this customer and say, can you actually speak to one of our prospects about your story and, and your challenges and how you overcome them? So I would say one of the key critical success factors as well is to try to involve Microsoft where you can, to try to bring in the vendor into the discussion because it, it, the vendor will always bring in a value um, when you talk to the customers as opposed to just the partner talking to you. Yeah, I find that the, my relationship with Microsoft has changed quite a lot over the years. Their internal scorecard is based on adoption of Dynamics 365 online. Yeah. And, that, you know, so their interests are, are completely aligned with mine and completely aligned with the customers. So bringing them in is yeah. is absolutely necessary, whether it's a fast track engineer or, like you say, a partner um, technical architect. There's lots of folks inside Microsoft who are are there to help your customer succeed customers really benefit from having their vendor involved and it reflects well on you if you've got a healthy relationship yeah. with Microsoft your customer thinks better of you absolutely 
Absolutely. I'm glad you agree with this because some partners don't really see that. I know that some of the big partners specifically would like to keep Microsoft at bay. They don't want to bring Microsoft into the picture for whatever reason. And I really don't think this is the right approach. Um, maybe in certain circumstances it's valid, but in the majority, I think it's better to have the vendor involved, even at a very high level. Um, I've got one final question for you. Sure. Of the success of this project, how much do you think was attributable to Tech Labs London and, and the skill and expertise of your team? And how much of it was due to factors other than other than your team? Oh, difficult question, Neil. Uh, obviously, I would love to say, yeah, it's everything else. Uh, no, I think I think it's it's really the team effort. I think it's really the vision, the, the having this kind of vision, collaborative environment where every party is trying to push in the same direction. I think this collaboration, this team effort, is the key success factor. You can say that. Part of this is because Tech Labs London came in with this spirit and where we wanted that and we tried to, you know, bring everyone with us and get everyone with us on the train. Not, you know, we're not going to take the train and go and, and leave you at the station. We're going to bring everyone on the train and we're all going to drive towards success together. So, um, you know, I attribute some of that to us, but I think overall it's the kind of the, the joint team effort that really got us to, um, to this success. Great. Mohammed, thanks very much for, for sharing all that expertise and your experience of the Eagle Housing Project with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Neil. Thanks for having me and uh, great talking to you and uh, your audience. Well, that wraps up another episode of Scrum Dynamics. I hope you enjoyed it. Just a quick reminder to get your periodic table of the elements for Dynamics 365 customer engagement by visiting customary.com slash elements. Remember to leave me a comment, let me know your favorite element, or if I've missed one of your favorites from the chart, I'll try and add it in for next time. I really enjoy recording these shows. Your feedback is what makes it all worthwhile. So keep those messages coming. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. I'll see you on the show next time. Keep sprinting. Bye for now.